Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the Galway City Your Council podcast series where we will share insights on the range of services, projects and people in the Galway City local authority area. Galway City Council provide a diverse range of services including beach maintenance, dog pounds, health promotion, strategic planning, tourism promotion and housing supply. This series will introduce you to some of the people delivering those services and the valuable work they do every day in Galway City. For more information on Galway City Council, please go to our website www.galwaycity.ie. Galway City is world-renowned as a centre for the arts and I'm delighted to say that my guest today, Fergal McGrath, who's the manager of the Town Hall and Black Box Theatres. Fergal has worked in the cultural sector for over 30 years and is closely associated with the growth and development of a number of leading Irish companies and organisations, including the Galway Arts Festival, the establishment of the Barbara Children Arts Festival and the world-renowned Druid Theatre Company, as well now as the Town Hall Theatre. Fergal talks about the evolution of the Galway arts sector over the last 50 years and his role in the development of that sector in Galway. Fergal, you're very welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Thank you. So what, what is your title, actually, first of all? So I'm the venue director of the Town Hall Theatre, and I basically manage the Town Hall Theatre and the Black Box Theatre. And the Town Hall Theatre is a 400-seater, and we also, under the same roof, have a 52-seater studio. And then the Black Box, which is just down the road on the Dyke Road, has capacity for 750 standing or 550-seated. And the Black Box also has studio spaces for artists under art space and has office administration space for the Goey Arts Festival and the Arcana organization. So in our offices in the town hall, we've kind of sublet one of those to the Goa Theatre Festival and to Goa Dance Project. So we're quite a quite a busy a busy place. We run two buildings, the three theatre spaces, 52 weeks the year, seven days a week. We open the doors to the public at 10, but we're in much earlier. And we usually close the doors at half 11, 12, but we can be there later doing loadouts. So it's, um, as I say, it's every day except Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. We're either open to the public or we're open behind the doors. And you would be very well known in Galway through the arts sector because, I mean, you've been, is it 30 years now at this stage? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I came back to Galway in 92 and to manage the Galway Arts Festival. So I was there for 10 years and then I went to Druid and worked there for almost five years. Uh, then I worked in the town hall for three years. I was freelance for three years and I'm back in the town hall for the last 10 years. So just over 30 years this year now. And it was interesting because you kind of came from a business background into the arts, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. My, I mean, I came out of UCD in 85 with a degree in agriculture and I worked with Fipes uh, in, based in Swords. Uh, in their pot plant and cut flower division. So I went in there as a young trainee manager, worked my up, and uh, after seven years, I was the general manager of that division. And uh, I had friends who were involved in the arts in Galway, and they had been up to events and activities, and they were bringing me down to see what was going on. And I kind of, even though I was in college for one year in 1980, uh, I didn't really know anything about the Galway Arts Festival or the Galway Arts scene, really, you know. And I kind of stumbled across it through through my friends. And um, then the job was advertised in 92. They're looking for a manager. So I just 
I ran away with the circus, you know, I just went for <laughs> it. And I said to them, I'm not really a, an artistic or creative type, but I guess you guys have that end covered. But I can see opportunity, you know, I can see the opportunity to bring in sponsorship and better support. And that will grow the program, that will grow the box office, and that will grow the event. And that's basically all we did for 10 years. We went through exponential growth between 92 and 2002 when I was there. And I think we went from a quarter million to we tri- we quadrupled in size in the in the in the decade, and it's now trebled in size in terms of turnover since. So it's like it's a huge event now. But that time we were doing things a lot. Um, it was up and running by the time I got there. So we we just took something that was quite extraordinary and we just developed it and found the resources and then it had a, a natural growth that just exploded. You know, we brought in a big tent in 92 to put on a big show from Canada, Theatre Sophie, uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And then one of the board, Park Bourne, who was programming the music, said, well, you know, we have seven or 800 seats in there. Let's put in Mary Black a few days before. And then on the last day, we took out the seats and put in Dr. John and the New Orleans Review, Willie DeVille. We we kind of stumbled across those a market there for large scale events in the tent in, the, in a field. <laughs> and uh, the rest is history to say, look at them now. You know, when you started that, like, did you feel inhibited in any way, like coming, you know, not from an artistic background or and I can see it's definitely an advantage, you know, but how did you find that interacting with, was everyone, everyone open to you or how did you find that? Oh, yeah, like I, I was anxious and I kept my head down, kept my mouth shut, my ears open for the first year. And uh, I was surrounded by an extraordinary group and an extraordinary energy. So I, I could see this just needed me to, to go with it. I, I had no artistic ambition to change in any way. I, my view is there to be supportive, facilitator, um, to assist. And um, so I was, but they were very open. And I, I'd be, it's funny how I should say that when I came to go first, I was almost suspicious about how willing and generous and supportive people were. It was like, because I'd worked in the corporate world for seven years with Fife, so I dealt with the big multiples. And my job was to manage major accounts of the big retail outlets, the big groups. And they were tough cookies, very tough. You know, we dealt with some of the toughest people in the business. Some of them would be, some of them would be well-known names. Like, so, you know, I was well used to the cut and thrust of the business world. So the support and openness of the arts world, was, it was an ex, a new experience for me, but I, I just took it at face value and it kept going for it and it worked out. Yeah. But yeah, I did. And I had to be careful because I was using language and had ideas that weren't an easy fit. Yeah. So like, it, one example would be I came to Galway after seven years in the pot plant business and we were used to sales analysis, market segmentation, you know, targeting. So when I came to Galway, I looked at the previous five years and I came back and I said, well, over the last five years, here's the pattern, you know, so much theatre, music, uh, children's, literary, and it was like 45%, 50%, 25%, 5%. You know, you've selling 15,000 seats. So if you want an average occupancy. 75% you got a program no more than 20,000. It's always putting a logic to what we used to do in the pot plant business. And this, oh no, that's not the way we work. That's a, <laughs> but that's the pattern. You know, that that's that's your world. Is it? That's not the way we work. And I say, well, that, that's life. So there was the twin energy. I had that sense of absolute objectivity, no emotion, just watching the bottom line. And then you had to have, as we used to say, the artistic director had to have his or her head where they just, they were going on intuition, instinct, empathy, risk-taking, whereas I would have been risk-averse. And at that time, as there is now, there was an artistic director alongside a, a manager. 
and Adam Drew, there was an artistic director alongside a manager. In the town hall, you do the two jobs. So I just had to talk to myself. So yeah, this was uh, it was an eye opener in many ways, come to Galway and seeing the different way. And a few months ago, I was at a funeral and I met my former boss, and he said, "Like, just tell me what you do." And I said, "Well, I buy and I sell and I take risks and we bring money in. And if we're short, we just sell more tickets or some more beer or whatever." And he said, uh, "And I was explaining, you know, what we'd spend on the program, what it would generate, and why we wouldn't charge commercial rates because we'd want to, we'd have." other objectives other than commercial you know our, our idea is obviously the optimum audience you know maximum engagement from the optimum audience and the maximum level of activity on our stage so that's why we get a subsidy you know we we get like 10 percent of our turnover we turn over around two two and a half million a year and we get 10 percent of that from the local city council of which we are a part you know we are a division of Galway city council which is not a normal not typical of theaters in ireland most of them are Companies limited by guarantee with the support of the local authority, but they're not actually part of the local authority. So we're kind of unique in that. So 10% of our turnover comes from the council through their kind of, it's like a guarantee against loss. You know, it's a subsidy, but we have to stay within budget. And 6, 7% will come from the arts council. So basically, the other 82, 83%, we generate ourselves from sales and other activities, rentals, bar sales, box office sales, whatever. So We'd sell over 100,000 seats a year. We generate a box office of 1.5, 1.6 million. And the other like six, seven, eight hundred thousand will come in there from other activities and subsidy. So it's, that's why we're so busy and we're fortunate. You know, Galway is a great space for the arts. There's great participation from local arts organizations, local, local companies, amateur and professional and audiences. And in a city of 80,000 population, we sell over 100,000 seats. You know, if we include people like the Roshin Dove and the festival and others who sell separately to us for events in our venues, you're looking at 120,000. So we're quite a busy space. And outside of Dublin and Cork, we'd be the biggest venues which are supported by the Arts Council. So, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a busy space. Part of our success, you know, people said to me, like, how do you do all that? Venues of our size. And, they look, and they're in bigger places or even smaller places. Like, just look at the volume of turnover and stuff we do, and they're kind of taken aback at the scale of what we do. I mean, there's a couple of reasons that Galway is successful and we're part of that success. Is uh, One, we have this necklace of festivals across the year. So we have this calendar of events. So we have Courts at Easter and the Galway Film Fly in July, followed by the Galway Arts Festival in July, followed by the Comedy Festival in October and preceded that by the Barbara Children's Festival. And now we've built up an emerging festival build in the last few years. It's the Galway Theatre Festival at the beginning of May. So we have this necklace of events. So that's like a big chunk of our business. Secondly, then we're the home of Druid. The Druid Theatre Company are the big guns in Irish theatre. You know, along with the Abbey, the Gate, Druid are one of the big three pillars. The Dublin Theatre Festival might be the fourth, but Galway's reputation internationally. You know, I worked with Druid and we used to go overseas when we're trying to break back into America in the early 2000s. You know, they didn't really know about Galway. They didn't know that much about Druid, but they knew about Carrie Hines, you know, so she was the first woman to win a Tony for her work on the Beauty Queen of Linan. So Galway has Druid and Gary, and then Galway has, and more recently, Andrew Flynn and Decadent. And then Galway has big, strong kind of local amateur theatre scene, local amateur musical scene, and also aspiring professionals. And I suppose the other big piece of our jigsaw is the fact that we have, and it was a, one of the reasons for the success of Goy being, having developed into a creative space, is um, the college, the university. Yeah. So the university is the pipeline for people who want to be involved, work or attend the arts. And it's been a very good combination and I see Druid working closely with them now, I see the Goyers are working closely with them, which is very good because 
those three have been an extraordinary. There's like a three-legged stool. They've been very important parts of Galway's success and its international reputation now for being a place of culture and creativity. It's important from the point of view of providing uh, people to work in the industry like actors and backroom, but also an audience. Because there, that's one thing I noticed about Galway. Like I've plenty of friends that were college there that won Mark O'Halloran that went on to acting and directing and writing. And he started in, in UCG, you know, there's that great tradition, but also then even just peers of his then that got into the tradition of going out to stuff. Because you say that, that, that like, you know, the Terminal Theatre is, I would consider like the middle of Galway, which is in the middle of the arts in Ireland, really. You know, the the foundation of the creative scene in Galway goes back to the mid 70s where a gang from then UCG just didn't want to leave Galway. They wanted to work in the arts, but they wanted to stay in Galway and, it's strange looking back now, but at the time they took, that was quite an extraordinary thing. Like they did not accept that Galway should be the epicenter for cultural activity in Ireland. The national institutions were all there, but as far as Gary Hines, the I.E. Jennings, the Party Brannocks, those people, they, they didn't see why that should be. They, they were like, they were revolutionary in their aspiration. They said like, so what? No, we'll do it ourselves and we'll do it here. So Gary and Mick Lally and Marie Mullen set up Druid. And then a couple of years later, Ollie Jennings and his gang set up the Galway Earth Festival and from the festival grew the Goy Arts Centre, from that grew Coach, from the Goy Arts Festival grew the Goy Film Flat. You know, when I first came down, when I first stumbled across the Goy Arts Festival in the late 80s, the Goy Arts Festival and the Flat overlap. You know, the Flat was the first few days and then there was the Goy Arts Festival. Uh, and then when the Town Hall was built, we had to wean them apart so the we in the Goy Arts Festival had the two weeks and the Flat, we persuaded them to go the week prior. And it took some persuading, like Miriam and Lilia, like they had this lovely slot, you know, the kind of, Funded the, the first week of the Go Air Festival, really, and uh, the festival wouldn't really kick off until the second part of the first week. But we had to, we had to persuade them to <laughs> to precede it, and they did, and it worked out. Then they got a full run, the full week of their own space, and then the festival was full fortnight of its own space. And then out of the Go Air Festival, not only came Bobberal in 1997, I think. But many others, especially the technical expertise, as Michael D. once referred to it, you have the physical infrastructure, but you also have the human infrastructure. Mm. And Galway in the 70s and 80s produced crews that had the experience and the capacity and the expertise. And you, you go to Slane, most of the leaders of the production on that gig are Galway lads, you know, Tony Killeen. Uh, you go up to Marley Park and you go to all the other outdoor venues you're meeting. You go to Crow Park, you're meeting Corey Core, Name and Fox, all the Galway lads, they're all there. So they used to call them the Goa Mafia in, in the 80s and 90s because MCD were expanding. In the Republic, the main teams came out of the Galway, the really Galway diaspora. Is there something to do with Galway's personality that has got this link to the earth? I, I suppose it's just, it's in the sector and we might have a view of it ourselves, but it might be a bit narcissistic. You know, you want to be careful what we're saying about ourselves. You know, obviously we think we're great, but say if we went to Cork, they'd think they're great too, you know. I think in Galway, there were a few things. One was... Because of the college, you just had people of like mind came together. And sometimes, you know, when you look back at the history of any organization or any scene, you find uh, leaders who gather around the people who are like minded. And they just sometimes they gel and in some places they don't gel. But in Galway, they gelled. And most of the reason, probably the reason they gelled was they were all outsiders. You know, there was very few of them that were born and reared in Galway. There was this mix, uh, like Gary's from Balladrine, Ollie's from Carlow. You know, there were... They're from Galway City, but it wasn't an issue. So, so uh, I think it's in a thought after the song, like, um, 
you know, they were all outsiders, but everyone was local, you know. Like, and I think there was that mixture of personalities. There were risk takers and there were cultural risk takers, which was, you know, they weren't like, like MCD but were preceded in Ireland by say, Dennis Desmond doing, bringing shows into the university cities. And he met up with, say, the likes of Porrick Bourne, who was running the Students' Union, Ents Office in Galway. And that's how those people, they were just young lads or graduates, and they, they were finding their way. But, you know, they were bringing Pin Lizzie to Leisureland, and they were bringing The Beat and The Specials to Leisureland. And then in the summer, 15 years later, they were bringing Major or Daniel Lenoir or whatever. The, Daniel Lenoir played in the Tiger right. in 1991. <laughs> the Waterboys came and fell in love with Galway. met Sharon Shannon, recorded Fisherman's Blues. Stayed around for two years down in the Keys. They bumped into the thought actors, helped them record a couple of songs, brought them on tour. And, you know, so it's like, um, it's the interactions, everybody being open and constructively, I think it's positive. I only, you know, like we're like anywhere else, but obviously there can be rows, there can be scraps, there can be competition for resources. Galway, it's a good town and it's probably a good town because there's such a mix in terms of uh, social strata, the very level playing field in Galway. You, you don't have, you know, in some cities, you know, certain classes play certain sports and, you know, there's a bit of that, but you don't see that. You might see that in Dublin or Limerick, maybe even Cork, I don't know, but you, I never perceived it in Galway. When you're in you're in school in Galway, this mix of all classes and all backgrounds. And So maybe I have an idyllic view, but I'd say even if you were critical, you'd, you'd have a positive view. You mentioned earlier on about um, you know, the commercial versus the artistic. Is that a hard part of the job for you? How do you find that, like getting that balance right? Yeah, Uh it is, and it it basically it's kind of guided by. On the one hand, you need to balance the books and come in on budget, and on the other hand, you know we have a specific mission to be supportive of the art forms and of artists, and in particular local artists. So when someone's doing their first play or they want to put it, the use of the studio and they don't have any money, you know you you, you can't be well. That's the way it is. Like you just have to respond to the situation and then there will be shows you put on stage and you you just know when you're booking them or you're putting them on that you're just going to lose your shirt you know you could lose it one week and then you have to win it back the next week so we we do a roller coaster across the year and uh it swings the roundabouts but within any 12 month period that you got to balance the books so nine times out of ten we do that coming out of covid last year was very difficult because we had returned to normal levels of activity but the audiences hadn't returned yeah and then our cost went up, so it was a pinch. And this year is still another pinch, even though our first five months year to date, we're on the same volume of attendance as we were in 2019 pre-COVID, which was a very good year. It's tricky, but our mission is not to make money. Our, our priorities are artists and audiences. And we have to do that then within the constraint of available budgets and support. And we will be particularly vulnerable because we're so dependent on box office. So we have to be commercial. We have to be, you know, when we have commercial events in, we have to drive them and we're reasonably sophisticated in how we promote and market. And we're lucky we have, as I mentioned earlier, we have, you know, the string of festivals, the big producers like Druid and Decadent, the very supportive audiences. And then we've lots of, and all the local amateur groups. But we also have other cultural animators in the town that we work closely with, like the Roisin Dove, Monroe's, people like that. So we do understand and we'd empathize with them. So we understand them. So when they come in and they're, you know, they're trying to cut every corner to keep their costs down, they're trying to maximize every ticket sale to get the income in. And, you know, we struggle with them. 
you know, we don't we just don't rent the hall and walk away from them. Like we're there fighting the fight in the trenches because if they succeed and they do, they come back. And it's so, a, that can be a new audience too for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, like uh under twenty five comedy and music, you know, that's where we get them in. And post COVID, the first genres back were comedy and music. Across all ages, but they were the two. Theatre followed later. I know initially it was only theatre that was uplifting, good crack. Yeah. They didn't want to see people dying on stage, you know. They wanted to see Joanne McNally drinking from bottles of Prosecco. <laughs> so um, so we get them and we work with the promoters to give us access to them. And like, we're flattered every year and we see what the guy asked will hand us in July. You know, this year we've drew doing the Druid location. And we've Michael Keegan Dolan week two and some other major international in the Black Box week two. So we have amazing lineups and you know, the odd time we get special events like the big promoters nationally, like MCD and others would say, you know, like Robert Plant wants to play quite boring theatre venue in the west of Ireland. So he wants, he says he wants to go to the Town Hall Theatre in Galway. When artists like that of that calibre, the man who sold 300 million albums, he tells MCD to book him into the Town Hall Theatre. He just go, wow, where did he hear about us? But obviously he's been on the road with Kirsten Hirsch for so many years. She was in Galway years ago in the Galway Arts Festival and there's a lovely theatre there. So, you know, so when people come in, we mind them. I noticed some of the yeah. UK comedians love doing their kind of pre-shows in the black yeah. box as well, don't they? And that's through um, Kevin Healy and the Roisin Dove. So that's been great. So before they do the big arena tours across the UK, which are like, you know, like the convention centres, 12, 15,000 theatres, huge. They could do three or four warm-up gigs in Go in the black box, sometimes in the town hall. And then next thing you see, the same show, a month later, advertised for the O2 in London, and Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're, we're. I mean, we're used to that. Like Druid, we're the home of most of Druid's productions, and they, they premiere on our stage. And then they easily transfer to Dublin, Gaty, or Olympia, and then they easily transfer to the London West End. And as with the McDonough stuff, Beautyfin and Anne in particular, onto Broadway. You know, so we're not phased by by that, and that's great because that's just that's just the way go. He is, you know. Is that one of the most enjoyable parts of the job where you see something for the first, you know, like it's the premiere or, you know, or an artist, a musician or someone who's at the start of his career and then you see them as their career grows? Is that must be very satisfying for you, is it? Seeing yeah. that it, it is like, um, say, Druid Playboy 2004 uh, with Anne Marie Duff, who's in Shameless Channel 4 at the time, and Killian Murphy. So Gillian Starr was in the Ascendant, but we did Playboy. And at the end of that run, he had, he just took off because um, he finished with us and Trulia on a Saturday night. And on a Sunday, he flew to London and Monday was on set for Batman. And that was his first big, big, yeah. big movie break, you know. Uh, but Gillian still comes back. He loves mm. Goy. He loves the Goy Arts in particular. He loves Ender Walsh. So Paul Fahey, Gillian Murphy, Ender Walsh, that and that's an example of another thing about Goy. You, you kind of get people tend to work with people they know, like, and trust. So you get relationships like that. So Killing will always make time in his diary if Ender Walsh has a new play and Paul Faye and the Goy Arts Fest are involved. And Killian came back with Complicity a few years ago uh, to do um, Max Porter's show, uh, The Thing About Grief. And since he'd been the last time, he was in Peaky Blinders. So it was so different this time because, you know, Killing was all of killing to us. He was like, sure, he's great crack, he'd made him and used it. And then Peaky Blinders came 
and then like killing we thought he was big he's very big now <laughs> yeah, yeah. so tv obviously took over in the last decade but peaky blinders was such a big hit like we had to have security in the black box you know for the first time we had to just protect did, killing did the audience change was that uh, yeah it was a very yeah it was it was very young and young and female but sure that's great it, I like know. I mean, that's clever because it, you see Drew do it as well. You know, the star casting is a way of bringing sense of magic to an old title, perhaps, or a new title. And it also brings in a new audience. So we'd have every respect for that type of casting and that strategy. So, of and the other thing that Drew would do, we watch on because we enjoy their fruits of their ben- or the benefits of their work, um, is you have the eventing. So like Drew are doing, you know, not just an occasion play, they're doing three. When I was with Drew, we did the same plays. There were six, eight and a half hours of theatre, 17 actors performed for three roles. You know, it went to Dublin. It went to Edinburgh National Festival the following year within Lincoln Centre. They go to Iron Islands as well. Yeah, we brought it to the Iron Islands. We went to Inish Man and we, the outdoor fort, Fort yeah, uh, yeah. Croher. And it was on the day ago we we're playing the All Ireland. So we actually stopped halfway through to watch the match. And we ra- I rang me all I rang RT and I said, Would you get me on a Murray to say hello to all the Druid people who have stopped the show to watch go playing the All Irelands? And he <laughs> did. He said hello to everyone out in the Iron Islands. He thought it was hilarious. He was getting all these texts from people in America saying, We just heard you mentioned on picking RT during the match, mm. you know. So it was great back. I not I don't think all we won that day. I can't remember. What year was uh, that? What year was that, that would have been uh was probably uh, 2005. Yeah, the last that America, one. 2006, yeah. And it was um, the director of Lincoln Centre Festival flew to Ireland to see it on Aaron and he watched it outdoors. That's where he saw it, the director of Lincoln Centre Festival. And um, he was just blown away. He, he couldn't believe it. It was quite an amazing sight, you know. And that's where Singh wrote most of his work there in Wicklow. So it was most unusual it was a very special occasion, yeah. Actually, I read that you brought Radiohead. You're involved with Radiohead coming to Galway. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, Many yeah. Ago. Uh, so were you, research, yeah. Were, you, were you music? <laughs> well, I was going, wow. I was going, how did I not know about that gig? <laughs> yeah, um, I was the manager of the Galway Airs with in 1996. And um, I think it was 96, yeah. And we worked closely with MCD. And MCD had Radiohead. And um, they were looking for an outdoor site. They thought... This was before the Ben's album took off, their, their second album. Yeah, yeah. And um, that was released in February. So the gig was booked in January, the album came out in February. And then in March, the album exploded. And what MCD thought would be, you know, we found an outdoor site. Pori Porn found the site and I negotiated with Castle Gare Hurling Club. Uh, we, there were two pitches end on, on the edge of town and there was no houses around it like there is now. It's all built up now there. You couldn't do it now, but that time, and we talked to local farmers. They, they cut the silage, they moved the cows, we used their fields as car parks, we worked with the guards, you know, there. And it was the first time an out, a major outdoor event had ever been done in Galway. So MCD thought maybe 10,000. We sold out 20,000 tickets in advance. And we'd never seen anything like it. And Radiohead, you know, they honoured the gig and they, they were just, they loved it. And there was a brilliant support bill as well. It was just an amazing time. And, and afterwards... During the day, the, the guards were in the back having their soup and sandwiches and the bands were in the other part having theirs, dinners. And it was so funny. It was just, it was amazing. And then the following year, like we pulled there and they were, I always remember the lads playing pool in the bar in Castlegar Hurling Club and eating crisps and drinking pints of Heineken. 
with the locals, <laughs> with the boys, with Paddy Cody, <laughs> and the man who was the manager of the venue. Yeah. Strange times in Catholic Air. And really, so your question was, did we bring Rady? We did. You know, if you see someone before they've made it and you, and you book them, it's kind of a magical thing in your job, isn't it? That when you yeah. see that. We're the beneficiary of what others do. At the Goa Arts Festival, when I was there, we brought John Mahoney in with the um, the New York, an art, the Art Centre in New York. We, we took them and they said that John Mahoney in the cast, we didn't really believe them, but we took the piece regardless. And sure enough, John Mahoney showed up. And what's more, John Mahoney fell in love with Goa and he came back four or five more times. And through him, we got to know Steppenwolf. They came to Goa and they fell in love and they came back loads of times. So, and again, it was that time the artistic director was Rose Parkinson. And it was like, you know, she got on a plane and flew to Chicago and knocked on the door literally of Steppenwolf and said, you know, I want you to come to Goa. And if you want a good reference, talk to John. He was here last year. So, that's how Galway works. It's kind of the personal touch. And Stepmuth came and they did amazing shows over the years in the town hall in the black box. If people want to know what's on in the town of the Tall Theatre, I presume it's, it's your website. Is that the best place to go? Yeah, it's tht.ie. And, um, you know, you can book 24 hours a day. Um, and as I say, we run seven days a week, 52 weeks. We are short Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. But on the 27th, we're in behind closed doors with the panto getting ready and they open then typically the day before New Year's Eve and then we're off. Yeah, we were at, we've a very small team. We, we've seven full time employees. Uh, three of them are technical. And then there's myself and a junior finance person. And then in box office, the box office manager and uh, an assistant box office manager. And all the rest then we've up to 20 people who work part time. They're an amazing bunch of part time workers who kind of box way above their weight they're just amazing so they do box office front of house and we some personal have people in who help me with marketing and administration part-time as well so it's um it's a very tight team hopefully that helps communication but uh but it's quite small and it's like a, it's almost like a family-run business the structure is very linear you know everyone's treated you know the person on the front line box office i would value their opinion as much as anyone else out here you know because they're the ones who are Hearing exactly. the feedback from the from the artists, from the customers, from the non-customers, you know. Um, yeah, so it's a tight team, small town, big activities, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Just the last question I ask everybody is uh, it's a general one, is if you could pick one thing that makes Galway unique or special, what would that be? Oh, it'd be the river. Um Carob is a fast-flowing river, and there aren't many European cities that have a fast-flowing river through it. And I work nearby, so every day I have to cross the bridge, and now I can cross the new bridge, the new pedestrian yeah. bridge, um, to get to work. I walk in from here near Chantilly, and um, it's the river. And during COVID, it was really strange because there was no traffic. And for the first time, I could hear the river. And it was like, it was really amazing. Like you stand on the bridge and there was no, I was on the bridge of my own. And uh, you could hear the river and it was amazing. So, yeah. So if you, what's unique about Galway? Or, and at the heart of the city really, isn't it? Yeah. What the river does in Galway is it kind of makes these little quarters with their own little personalities. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, and, and you can fish like the fish for salmon. I was watching a guy catch a salmon just this week from the bridge. <laughs> I, I was on the bridge, he was down in the river and he had to edge his way slowly back to the 
the side of the banks of the river in case you get pulled in by the salmon. Um, but yeah, it it has you know it's and it's linked to the lake and then Galway's got a huge you know my kids are involved in rowing with the Jez School and uh, it's an amazing asset that Galway has and it will you can see the new bridge now it gives people better access to the river and I just think and there's another pedestrian bridge planned further upstream in the next five years I guess. And that too would be a huge asset, I think, to the Greenway and whatever other uh, pathways it'll link into. So I think the river and the sea, you know, obviously the prom is extraordinary. Um, they call Galway the Seattle Europe because of the weather. You know, it's always raining. But um, the seafront in Seattle just wouldn't be as beautiful as the seafront in Galway, you know. And I know all the clear people say, Always only beautiful because we're across, looking across the hills yeah. of Clare, you know. We're looking at the burn, and that's what gives the Galway its ball will be its beauty. But we have the Iron Islands as well. We can see if we go a bit further up out near Silver Strand, we can squint and see the Iron Islands in the distance. So, yeah, I'd say the, the river and perhaps the prom can hard separate the two. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to sharing some more great interviews every Tuesday. Please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you'll be the first to hear new episodes every Tuesday. You are listening to the Galway City Your Council podcast.